This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. Hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. And um, it, it's a very lovely July the 14th in, uh, in Blackburn South in Australia. So last week we had July the 4th, which is the American National Day, and of course um, July the 14th is, is Bastille Day, so um, yeah. The, oh. the, 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 the national yeah. days, and, and and no doubt tonight in the Tour de France, a um, a Frenchman will be trying to win today's stage because they always make a valiant effort to try and win the stage, uh-huh. and um, and they generally fail. So uh, we, we we don't know if that's going to be the case today, but um, uh, go you French cyclists! Um, I hope you get a win. There you go. And um, but a hundred and fifty years ago today, um, the crew at the ship of the Shenandoah. Where exactly were they, Michael? Well, if you remember in last week's episode, having got stuck in some ice, having their rudder chain broken, and having a bit of a fright, they were yes. very keen to be steaming south towards the Pacific. Mm. And uh, by now, they are well and truly in the Pacific. They're still in the Roaring Forties. Yes, but uh, at least they're out of uh, the. The, the dangerous parts with the ice. Yes, I was quite impressed by that. I think they're at about um, 41, 41 mm-hmm. north, aren't they? So, yes. so they, they must have been very deep into the roaring 40s or even the, you know, the even worse 50s when they were up uh, up towards the Arctic. Um, but uh, so they, but they, they're still seeing lots of ice and they, they still have to, to worry about, uh, about what that's going to do to the ship. I, I think they're not as worried about being trapped in ice as they were before, though, which was yes. something that was very terrifying for them. So, yes, the Shenandoah is, is heading south. They captured 11 whalers in one day at one point back, yes. in, uh, back in a few weeks ago. As far as they're concerned, the war is still raging on. If you remember last week, Mr Whittle, in his despond, thought that perhaps arming the slaves to continue the fight might be the only way to go, and that pretty much is the last, the last resort of... The, lo- the last, the last throw of the dice. When they start yes. talking about that and talking about the God of Jacob and, and so on. So, so things are getting pretty desperate. But, but they, are, they, are still, they are still fighting the war. And in fact, um, on, on, on the 9th of July, I believe, um, but both, um, both of our original sources, uh, Mr Whittle and Midgham um, and Mason, are, are doing some reading, although apparently Mr Whittle does not say exactly what he's reading. Yes, it was so good that we were able to find out what Midshipman Mason was reading throughout the journey. Yes, yes. But uh, all we have from Mr Whittle is the fact that he spent the day occupied reading in his room. And we don't get what actually oh, was. Oh, Never mind. dear, dear. Well, um, uh, now, on, on, so this is on, on 9th of July. Um, um, yes, a, a wonderful diary interesting. Uh, nothing of interest has taken place. Uh, but we are falling back into the old routine. This capturing and burning ships with all the confusion which almost necessarily accompanies such performance plays a juice with the discipline of a ship and it requires some little time to restore the former round of duties. So Jim uh, and Mason seems to be saying that, that something that gets in the way of a war is, is, is all the fighting a war bit. Yes. Um, that, that, that 
that seems to be a rather common military feeling that, that you know, really soldiering is, is, is much more fun and interesting in peacetime when you yes. actually don't have to fight. But um, Midgerman Mason does mention uh, what, he's, what he's reading. And, of course, I'm still deep in Les Miserables. Um, it does have to be mentioned that Les Miserables is... is very long, and he says so. It is very long, but so interesting that I do not regret the length. I am now commencing the tenth and last volume. So oh. imagine a book so big that it had to be in, in ten volumes. Cause I, I believe the typical um, 19th century novel was, was called a three-decker because it came in three volumes. So if Les Miserables was, was three, th- three three-deckers plus a, plus a skiff, presumably, that, that's a... a Pretty, pretty amazing book, but um, oh, and, and, and spoilers um, on the on the eleventh. I sat up last night until eleven o'clock to finish *Miserable*, and I am charmed with the book. There you go. Very good. So on the thirteenth of July, it was Captain Waddell's forty-first birthday, and, and luckily it was Thursday the thirteenth. It wasn't uh, wasn't <laughs> Friday the thirteenth. Well, it actually still was an unlucky day because after they had their uh, drinking his health and having a, a, a birthday dinner in the wardroom, it started to blow a terrible gale. Well, this always this happened at Christmas. Every time they yeah, they, they when, have when, a celebration. Well, that, yes, um, if you if you recall at Christmas time, um, their their you know hundred pound pig ended up on the on on the floor after and there was ter- a, yes, there, there a was a sudden storm. squall and, and yes. it all it all fell on the floor. Yes. Um, so um, Whittle does go into uh, great length here about the different fore and main top sails and fore sails that were all changed and furled and so on. I'll spare you those details. Oh, but I, I love those. De- okay, okay, spare us the detail. But, but the ship was rolling fearfully. And I think when the first officer is describing the ship as rolling fearfully, you've, you've got to think it's rolling pretty badly. In fact... No one could account for the gale, he says, until it was reported that the uh-huh. cat was overboard. This, this is the ship's cat. Yes, and, and, and well, we, we did a bit of research on, on what, what that means, Michael. We did, we did. And tell us, Rob, where did your research take you? Well, <laughs> if you do a search on um, the, 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 the ship's cat, um, it was considered a that if the ship's cat went overboard and was lost, um, it would bring on a terrible storm. And in fact, uh, this, this is so well known a superstition that there is actually um, a, a episode of that um, well-known um, uh, and, and no doubt terribly realistic show, Goma Pile USMC, which people from my age will fondly remember from, from their childhood, called Cat Overboard, so, which, which is available, which is on, on IMDb. And in the first of the three-part sea manoeuvres... It's a three-parter. It's a, it's, it's a triple-decker Goma Pile episode. I, I think it, it, it sounds to me a bit like the, the three-parter episode where the Brady Bunch go to Hawaii, which I, I have no doubt was... Uh, it's also topical for the... Well, uh, I think if the producers have given the great expense of going to Hawaii or presumably going on board a ship, yes. you've got to get as much yeah. value as you can out of it. So that cat's going to get thrown <laughs> overboard three times. Anyway, anyway, in the first of the three-part sea manoeuvres, Goma sneaks a cat aboard a Navy ship, unaware there is a sensitive petty chief officer who throws all contraband overboard. So I, I, I mind you, I, I have to say... Um, uh, 
I'm sure the cat gets saved because um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was a family show. It was a family show. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure nothing terrible happened to the well, cat. Well, in, in contrast to that, Mr. Whittle told the Master at Arms that the cat was overboard, and that um, such an expenditure would be agreeable to me. So obviously, uh, uh, he, had, he didn't he was like not the a ship's cat. cat. He was oh, not a cat dear. lover. No doubt he was a dog person. And he also said he was by no means one of the superstitious ones. And all the crew started scolding me as a Jonah. Oh. When up walked the cat. Mr. Whittle, that's because you're a Jonah. He's a Jonah. Sorry. Then the cat appeared. Oh, good. It was was safe. No one was more surprised than I, for I thought the poor pussy gone. And then he said, I gave orders to let the cat live. Oh, okay. So I'm not exactly sure what's meant there. Um, the, the, the ship continues to roll fearfully, but but easily being in fine trim. So I think when the cat showed up, uh, nature's balance was restored. Well, um, there, there's actually um, there's a there's a well-known book on movie plotting called Save the Cat, uh, and that, that's apparently at the beginning of every movie. Um, the hero has to do something to, to give the audience sympathy. But I, I don't think saving the cat by countermanding the order of its death that you yourself have... have you know, Nevertheless, Whittle has saved the cat. Uh, Whittle has saved the cat. So I, I think that means that in the movie of the Shenandoah, Whittle has to be the hero. But you'd need to do a flash-forward of that um, at the start. So, well, oh, look, I'm, I'm, oh, look, I'm very glad that 150 years ago the, the poor pussycat... Um, Poor, poor cat live. Um, we didn't want to have that as the the sole casualty of this journey around the world. That would be very sad. Well, it's it? a sole casualty to date. To um, that will spoil us. Yeah. Uh, well, now Mason, Mason somehow Mason does not mention the the terrible incident of the presumably the cat in the night time. Um, but um, uh, so on, again on on the captain's birthday, um, he does a report on the dinner. Um, now he had also reported that. Um, uh, Tomorrow, on the 12th, he reported that tomorrow is a captain's birthday and our caterer, Bullock... I, I didn't know Bullock was a caterer. Presumably he's the... the um, he's Yes, the, the, the head of the, the steerage wardroom. ...have promised a fine knobby dinner. I presume a, a knobby dinner is a, a dinner that knobs would have. Posh. Um, a posh uh, I think dinner. a posh dinner. Yes. Uh, what this dinner consists of remains to be seen, but I hope it will be good. Uh, well, um, going ahead to the 13th. Uh, the grand dinner came off today, and a very good one it was um, for a sea dinner. Uh, roast shoat. Mm. One or two kinds of fresh meat, canned. One or two types kinds of vegetables. All sorts of pies and puddings and nuts and wine, port and sherry. And now, um, we, we get to a bit that I alluded to a few weeks ago, I think. Um, I'll mention here by way of parenthesis that this is what sailors call a very wet ship. It will be necessary to explain the meaning of this term, for I'm sure few unsophisticated persons would understand it. It means simply this, that there is always plenty of liquor knocking around. Since we captured the old Abigail and took all that whiskey, brandy and rum from her, some six or seven hundred gallons at all, there has always been plenty of it on hand. I, for one, having all this under my charge, am never in want. Fortunately for myself, I am not a hard tosser. Oh, which, um, which means he's not a tosspot who uh, who knocks, knocks a heavy knocks drinker. A shoat, by the way, Rob, yes? is a, a young pig, a newly oh. weaned pig. So they're having suckling pig. Oh, obviously. So um, so that the pig they have on board must have uh, must have had some some, uh, some babies, or they took some off, off some prisoners. Um, 
and of course he also mentions the uh, the um, the storm, but um, yeah, does not mention the cat's supposed cause of it. Um, so the, the he's, cat... he's possibly not as superstitious as, as Mr. Whittle isn't. Yes, as Mr. Whittle isn't indeed. Uh, the captain's birthday was celebrated in a becoming manner by all hands. The main brace was spliced twice. You see, but Mr. Mason never leaves out. You've got to splice the main brace. Um, once for the men to drink the captain's health and once in consideration of the gale of wind... About dark, the wind came out of beam with a tremendous sea, and the ship rolled so deep that I thought she would turn over. I went to bed at ten, but could not sleep. Things were continually bringing away. Sofas, chairs, tables, trunks, etc., etc., were charging around in the steerage like a thousand of brick and making a tremendous noise. I was glad to turn out the next morning at four o'clock and keep the morning watch. Now, this is obviously one of the disadvantages when you loot lots of yeah, an entire fancy ship <laughs> full of fancy furniture that is not that is designed for land, not for sea, and you put it in your steerage wardroom that when you have a big... Uh, I'm just imagining a whole lot of couches and chairs <laughs> on casters. Yeah, 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 just sailing up and down. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, rolling, rolling up and down, rolling up and down. Um, oh, uh, but on Friday the 14th, which of course was, was 150 years ago today, um, and Bastille Day, as previously noted, uh, the weather improves, no doubt, because um, they, they found they the cat. The they found the cat. Yes. Well, oh, Michael, Michael, um, now... now this this week we have the the second part of our of our interview with Chris Chris Gidlow, um, which was was fascinating last week. So we so we we better splice the main brace and, and crack on to that. Very um, good. That would would you like to uh, to reintroduce uh, where, where we're up to with so the, the Chris interview? We were having a discussion with a British historian Chris Gidlow about uh, Confederate flags, and we just ended the discussion last week, if you remember, with uh, a committee being formed to resolve the terrible problem of what is the best Confederate flag to take into battle because the stars and bars, as they were called, and the stars and stripes were a little bit too close looking to each other to be uh, to be useful. Um, anyway, without further ado, um, we'll re- return to the second part of our interview with uh, Chris Gidlow. All right, so uh, in uh, April uh, 1863, the committee came back to decide the answer, and they, they realised that the, the, the answer to the problem had been staring them in the face, that they, they shouldn't have got a, a designer to design the flag. They should get a newspaper proprietor to design the flag. <laughs> yeah. So uh, William, William T. Thompson uh, was brought in. He was a newspaper owner and uh, an editor uh, to come up with the perfect Confederate flag. And he decided that he should have a flag which this is a quote from him which show the heaven ordained supremacy of the white man over the colored man and be hailed throughout the civilized world as the white man's flag it must bear no resemblance to the infamous banner of the yankee vandals now Put yourself in his position. You're coming up with the flag of the white men throughout the world. It's going to be... Oh, it's got to be white, I guess. (laughs) A huge white flag, obviously. A white flag. And then as a concession to a public opinion, it has the battle flag of the Army of Northern Virginia in the top left-hand corner, very small. Oh, yes. Now, that... 
And well, this, this design was called the Stainless Banner, and that's ah. what was being flown off the back of the uh, Shenandoah through its mm-hmm. career. So when, when the Shenandoah was launched, that was the national flag of the Confederate States and went on the back of it. And this is the flag that they still have in the uh, Museum of the Confederacy in Richmond. That's right. Um, It was supposed to be uh, the original design uh, that Thompson planned was it would be twice as long as it was wide. Uh, That isn't the way the one that appears in the uh, Museum of the Confederacy, the actual Shenandoah one was. They obviously realized that this very, very long white flag Mm -hmm. didn't fit in any specifications for any manufacturer wouldn't work. Uh, But just step back a bit. There's a major problem with that flag. Um, it looks like you're surrendering. <laughs> yes, that's the real thing. If you if you march behind that on a battlefield, it doesn't kind of say we're marching to victory. And probably from the point the stainless banner was adopted, um, the Confederates' uh, high tide had been reached and it then went downhill all the way. Because Oops. the kind of reason you'd be waving a white flag on a battlefield were not we're marching to victory. Uh, dear, on the dear. ship... You can't see it because you're up against the horizon most of the time. You're just looking at another kind of sail. Yes, 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 it's the same colour as the sails. Oh, dear. (laughs) They didn't really think this one through, did they? No. um, As it happens, uh, the committee continued to meet uh, throughout the war, uh, looking at the problem of of the Confederate flag. And on March the 4th, 1865, if you're following the American Civil War, you'll understand that the uh, Confederacy is basically reduced to Richmond and a few people out in Texas at that point. But the Committee on the Flag and Seal is still sitting, still deliberating. <laughs> and they realise at this point that the answer has been staring them in the face. They, they, oh, they, no. they, it's absolutely clear what they need to do. What they're going to have is a great big white flag with the Confederate battle flag in the top corner, Mm. but with a red stripe on the outer edge, which would symbolise all the blood that they'd shed up to that point. And that was called the Bloodstained Banner. Ah. And then then the Confederacy fell, and that was never telegraphed through to the Shenandoah. They never found they were supposed to be putting a red stripe on the end of their flag, and so they never did. They continued flying the stainless banner. Well, that is fascinating. Oh, um, there is another flag that I've heard of from the Civil War I don't know very much about called the Bonnie Blue Flag. Do you know about the that Bonnie one? Blue Flag? Yes, yes, that's the the original Confederate flag, all blue uh, with uh, usually just one white star in the centre or sometimes seven stars for the original Confederacy. And they did have that as the original Confederate Jack. So um, for ships that were launched or commandeered early in the Civil War, they flew that on the front as the Jack uh, when they weren't at sea. And there's a famous uh, photograph of that to get back to our um, original topic we were chatting over, which is uh, Corporal Brownell standing on the Bonnie Blue flag that is the first Confederate flag to be torn down. Um, being flown by a Confederate sympathiser in Alexandra across the river, across the Potomac from Washington. And uh, 
Elmer Ellsworth, who was the colonel of the Fire Zouaves, which was a volunteer regiment made of firefighters, uh, went across... Dressed say, in very <laughs> fancy uniforms, I understand. Oh, yes, yeah. Well, the thing is, for volunteers, you need to say you're going to be dressed in the fanciest uniforms ever. The regulars, no, they can wear any old rubbish. But if you're trying to get volunteers together, you want them to look like the hard-hitting, uh, best devil-may-care forces in the entire world. Um, at that point, they were considered to be the North African troops of uh, Napoleon III. Uh, they were talked up uh, what they'd done in Italy and what they'd done in the Crimea. Um, these guys in fezes and uh, big pantaloons and little cut-off North <laughs> African jackets. And so every regiment that was recruiting volunteers throughout the civilised world would say, and we're going to dress you up as a Zouave, as a, as a French North African soldier. So that's what Ellsworth had got his men dressed as. Which must have made peculiar, them, made them um, very good targets, I imagine. Um, yes, amongst other things. Um, anyway, they uh, crossed, the, crossed the Potomac, went to see the Bonnie Blue flag uh, f- uh, and said, tear that down. Uh, the uh, Confederate flying, it said, no way, and shot Ellsworth. And then uh, Brownell shot the man who shot Ellsworth. And everybody wanted a photograph of Ellsworth's Avenger standing on the torn oh, down flag. Oh, dear. And it's I'm- hard, of course black and white picture to appreciate uh, what the flag is just like a big bundle of uh, of uh, um, material on the floor but it is the bonnie blue flag but but i imagine that would have actually made a far more effective naval ensign than the one they <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, don't don't ask a committee to design it no and uh, also the bonnie blue flag was the uh, was that that was like the unofficial National anthem of the Confederate States, too, wasn't it? There was a song called the Bonnie Blue Flag. Yes, I don't think they ever got round to uh, confirming a national anthem. And neither oh, did they the needed U- another committee. What were they doing? <laughs> they, did. they needed a committee on the national anthem. Um, so the, the United States didn't have an official anthem during the Civil War either. Uh, the Star-Spangled Banner came to be one of the ones that was most used at official oh. occasions. And yes, the Bonnie Blue flag was very frequently used at, um, at Confederate occasions. Uh, they also often played Maryland, My Maryland, which uh, to us sounds like um, uh, Tannenbaum or the Red Flag. Um, <laughs> and Maryland was part of the Union. So it was a rather odd thing that they frequently played at official Confederate occasions. There, there doesn't seem to be um, a lack of odd things that went on in the American Civil War, though, Chris. <laughs> no, I think it's one of the very, very few wars, um, often cited as the only war, although that's slightly debatable, that's fought between two democracies. It's very unusual uh, for democracies to go to war with each other. They usually find other ways of doing it. And so unusually, it's a war that does have committees and politics on both sides of it. And also, um, if if um, if you take the analogy to today, there's the 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 thought that no two countries that have a McDonald's in them have ever gone to war. Well, who knows what if that would have been no, the case absolutely. back then? Yes. Well, I, I, I just have to say that um, the Australian anthem, um, which of course used to be "God Save the Queen," uh, which I remember singing when I was in, in primary school until I was about nine, um, that was uh, replaced by "Advance Australia Fair," which was um, also chosen by a committee, and that is an infamously infamously dirge-like um, anthem <laughs> that is uh, the 
Oh, not the most uh, interesting thing. So, so I think that the uh, a, a committee to choose the anthem for the Confederate Three would would probably have come up with something um, something fairly terrible. I the, think the um, the big advantage of God Save the Queen. Obviously, uh, I have to speak up for my employer here. The <laughs> big advantage of God Save the Queen. It's it's incredibly short. Yep, it doesn't yes. have to have your whole history of your nation and uh, every kind of group that's ever been represented. And, and uh, you can't possibly have this played without all five verses and the chorus included. We just go no, just sing the first verse. That's it. Yes, our yeah. our current national anthem has two things that are a bit glaring in it. One is that it has the land, it has the uh, the, the line, our, our home is girt by sea, and everyone assumes girt by sea is a little village somewhere in Cornwall. Because <laughs> uh, girt is not really a word used anywhere else in the English language, as far as I can tell. No, it's, it's more kind of a kind of burp, really, isn't it? Yes, it is a good, it's a good Scrabble word, though. And uh, the other kind of unfortunate thing is, given what seems to be going on with uh, the issue of refugees at the moment, is our second verse has, we have boundless planes to share. And that kind of makes various people wince these but days. But we won't. <laughs> yes. 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 yes but, the- the let's, boundless planes have been uh, taken off the menu. Yes, yes. yes. But let's let's well, get the, away uh, from the, that. The, the, weird, the one which uh, ended up in uh, the United States of America, the uh, Star Spangled Banner, is all about them fighting the British, which is an absolute classic. <laughs> it's also a, an, a, an amazingly hard song to sing well, too, isn't it? It's got a big key change, I think, which uh, I think bars any man from singing it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. It's one of the we we think nothing of it, but the because uh, United Kingdom was the first industrial power, we had all these industrial terror weapons that we were unleashing on the world in the early nineteenth century, and one of them is the Congreve rocket. Uh, so when we took part in the Battle of Nations in uh, eighteen fifteen, when all the European nations fought against Napoleon, we sent the Congreve rocket troop to fire these rockets at them, and it at the, at the defence of Fort Henry. We, uh, our Navy took the Congreve rockets to fire to bring down the Star Spangled Banner, and that's the Rockets' Red Glare. Ah, that's the in Rockets' the song. Red Glare, yes. But we're so used oh. to our armies being fought with rockets now, and we don't think anything of it. But in 1812, you'd never see anything like that. And it'd it, be like saying the Scud's Red Glare or the uh, <laughs> Claymore Mine's Red Glare. And, of course, the Star Spangled Banner would have been the American flag at the time. <laughs> yes, e- even though the stars and bars were equally star-spangled. <laughs> and, and not too dissimilar from the uh, flag that this committee came up with uh, um, 45 years later. It's one of the uh, incidents in um, in uh, the film Gettysburg where they pointed out the uh, son of the man who defended the original Star Spangled Banner is about to take part in Pickett's charge against the United States at the Battle of Gettysburg. Oh, yes. That's, that's another one of these amazing um, historical coincidences and, and episodes that happened in the American Civil War. And uh, Robert E. Lee's father fought in the American Revolution too, I believe. Yes, as Light Horse Harry Lee, he'd been one of the uh, cavalry commanders of uh, George Washington. Yep. So, Chris, um, we've been we've been covering the exciting journey of the Shenandoah for uh, thirty about thirty five episodes so far. We're at the high point for them. 
which is sadly a month after the war, civil war ended. Um, so it's it's not going to uh, they're, they're going to be very disappointed soon when they're finally convinced it's over, and then they head back to uh, the UK. So, in one mm-hmm. sense, you could say that the uh, the American Civil War ends in, in Liverpool. UK, in Liverpool, yeah, absolutely. And I believe it ends uh, with well. This is spoilers, Rob. Perhaps we shouldn't be going into too we much can't, detail. We can't tell you how it ends. As far as we know, the Shenandoah <laughs> is still out there. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe that it did actually involve uh, handing over the, um, the flag to, to say that the war had ended in Liverpool. Yes, that's right. It's, uh, I think it's going to be in November, isn't it? November the 7th, they're finally yes, going to yes. ha- hand it over. Yes. Um, England, England had been ambivalent, or the United Kingdom had been ambivalent. Um, we, uh, as a country, were quite happy to see the United States tear itself apart because it was an enemy country uh, to us, a break- breakaway colonies. And our major industry had been based on uh, southern cotton. So uh, all things being equal, we probably would have wanted the uh, South to win. But the sentiments in the United Kingdom against slavery absolutely stopped Palmerston's government uh, openly supporting the Confederacy. and uh, But all of our newspapers, the Times, um, Punch uh, magazine, were all very pro-Confederate. And it's very strange now, looking back at what we know to be the inverted commas right side, that that wasn't appreciated in England at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I was, Hey, could I just say on a, on a, a weird, weird and off the, the, uh, the rails point, it's not at all uncommon uh, for a conflict to continue in the 19th century after the war's finished. Uh, so the Battle of New Orleans at the end of the War of 1812 is fought in 1813 after both sides have made peace and was an absolute massacre of the British, but the, the war was finished. Uh, the Battle of Toulouse in 1813 is fought... Uh, uh, after the uh, the war, sorry, in eighteen fourteen, is fought after the war has ended, the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, but nobody knew that, so they carried on fighting. It always seems quite grim, really, that you know, <laughs> fought and died, and it's all all over and done with. Yes, yes. Fortunately, by World War One, I, I think everyone got the telegram, didn't they, to say we're going to stop fighting at eleven o'clock. And anyone that was sensible at eight eight thirty in the morning when they got that telegram went and sat in the sat in the trench. But some people did do last charges and things. They did, just... yes. That's only the armistice on the Western Front as well. So um, you'll often see. Uh... Uh, war memorials in England that go up to 1919 uh, because if you were stationed somewhere else so you were fighting the Ottoman Empire for example they were still fighting right mm-hmm. so uh, in- interesting enough some of the belligerents carried on fighting through the through the uh, peace conference uh, so Romania and uh, Yugoslavia just carried on fighting if they weren't getting what they wanted in the peace conference they'd go and take it so we have um, with with the Shenandoah uh it really wasn't the uh, continuing to take the uh, the ships after the war that end after the war ended that got them into the trouble. It was really uh, the taking on of uh, crew in in Melbourne, Australia, which is mm. which is of course where we are, that uh, actually led to a lot of the uh, diplomatic issues and possibly could have even brought Britain into the civil war. 
Yes, that's true. Um, there were quite a few uh, sailing close to the wind uh, that in the normal course of events would have me meant a war between the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, and on one of them, uh, Abraham Lincoln famously said, one war at a time. <laughs> So let's just, uh, let, we'll need to wind up in a moment, Chris, but let's just put a, a historical what-if hat on because you're a, you're a historical recreator. Let's see if you can be a historical uh, fabricator. What do you think would have happened if, um, if Britain had entered the war? Um, all the European alliances would have kicked in. So at that point, you'd have had to have dealt with uh, Prussia. You'd have had to have dealt with um, with the Empire of France, and everybody would have picked sides. So you'd have ended up with a bloodbath rather than just a civil war. So we would have had World War One happening uh, about fifty years early. Yeah. Yes. Oh well, it's a good thing it didn't happen then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's why. If, I think that's why everybody took a chill pill and decided let, let's not do that. Yes. Yes, I think so. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you on Shenandoah. No, it's been great fun. Um, we've got a long journey ahead of us because the Shenandoah doesn't get back to Liverpool until November. So we'd love to have you back on the, uh, back on the program later on. Oh, yeah, I'll be doing my uh, best Scouse accent, my Liverpudlian accent. You won't be able oh. to tell the difference between me and John Lennon. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Absolutely excellent. Well, we'd love that. So um, this has been Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales. With Rob and Bob, or Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob, and I'm, I'll say thank you very much to our special guest, Chris Gidlow. Jolly good show. <laughs> excellent. Well, that, 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 excellent. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Goodbye. <laughs>